Man, good morning. You guys are quiet today. Good morning. Um, all the loud people took the Sunday off, I guess. Um, man, so excited to be here this morning. Excited to open this word with you. Before we do that, I'm just going to pray really quick. Um, I know that I just prayed, but man, I also know that I can't do anything apart from God, and I don't even want to try. So I'm just going to pray, and maybe you guys can pray for me, and I'll pray for you. But Father God, we just need you this morning. God, we know this morning we got nothing if it's not from you. That God, we, we don't have any words and any songs and any things. There's no secret. There's no thing we can manufacture today. But God, we just need you. God, you are the person that changes people. You're, you're the one who transforms us, who makes us different, God. And, and I can't do that. I, I can talk. I'm pretty good at it. I run my mouth probably way too much. Um, but God, we know that this morning um, there's no secret in that, that that doesn't do anything. What we need is you. So Holy Spirit, we're just asking that you come into this place and you just move in our hearts, God, this morning that you would change us. God, I need a change in me. I don't know about anybody else. I can't speak for anybody else today, but I need you to change me. God, I live with me every day and I know the most inward secret things in my heart. And God, I believe that even there, um, you can move and you can change and you can work. So God, that's what I'm praying over me in this place. God, anybody that would say, I want you today, God, that you'd be open to that and available for that. God, anybody today that comes seeking you, that God, you're still the God who saves and I believe that. God, if there's anybody in this place that doesn't know you, that God, today might be the day that you, through your spirit, would open their eyes that they could see and they would respond to that. God, we believe today that you still move. And I know we forget that in church so many times. We, we, we just think that, you know, if we sing the right songs or we preach the right message, that maybe God will do something. But God, we, we know that none of that matters today. It's you and it's only you. So God, we're just praying that you do what you're good at, which is the moving and um, God, we'll just try to be obedient today. So God, we need you, and we love you, and we thank you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, um, thanks for doing that, if you did. Um, man, so excited about this word today. We're going to be in John 13, so if you have your Bible, you can kind of maybe do a head start there. Um, started a series last week called More Than Me. And um, yeah, thank you, John. Uh, John loves it. Me and John, we're the... We're ready. Uh, we started a series last week called More Than Me, and, and I'll be honest, um, I'm not trying to hide anything today. It's a series on serving, specifically in serving in the church. And we're talking today, and yes, like last week, and next week, and maybe another week about, about serving in the church. And it's, it's our heart today, it's our belief today that everybody that attends here regularly should also plug in and serve here regularly. That, that that's God's will for, for the church. I, I can show you that through the Bible. I'm going to do that the next few weeks. But, but that that's what God would have for us as believers is to link up with the church and to actually like be part of a church. And being part of a church is more than just like showing up and singing songs and, and, and doing those things. It's actually like participating in, in what it is to be a church. I know that we've been to like a million churches, probably most of us. I've been to, I'm like 33, and I've been to more than 33 churches in my life. And they all do things differently, and I get that. Um, but for most of those churches, if we were honest, it's like like 13% of the people, right, doing like everything, and then everybody else just comes. And we look at the, the Bible, and I just, that's not how it is. Amen. Like that's just not how it is. Like that's not what it is to be church. You, you can't even find this formula, by the way, in, in the Bible, like where they just come in and they sing some songs and somebody pre like that's this is just a thing that we do. This is not church. Like we're the church and this is an event that we do there once a week on on Sunday. Um, and it's our thought and belief through what we read that like if you attend a church regularly that you should link up and be part of that church, that you should serve in that church somehow. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks because really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we believe, right? Who cares what overflow thinks? I don't. Um, but I care what this word says. So what Jesus says, like that, that means something. And in the next few weeks, we're going, to, we're going to talk about that. And this morning, we're going to do that through 
John 13. But, but the reason I think that God intends for us to work together is in, in reality, like alone, none of us can really do very much. And I think that's why a lot of us don't serve, really. It's because, like, what can I do? Like, I'm not a this or I'm not a that. So I just, like, I'll come and let those thises and thats do the thing. But, and I'll be honest, alone, like, nobody, there's no preacher that can do a lot and no evangelist that can do a lot, whatever that is. And there's no uh, musician that can do a lot. And there's no greeter that can do it. It takes everybody. Like, alone, we can't do very much. But together, we can be a force for good and the gospel, and the glory of God in in this community and in the world. And that's what I believe that God wants for the church. And I think the reason we don't see that in the church is because really we just do it wrong. Because for most of us, showing up on Sunday is church. And in reality, we're birthed into the church. Like I am church, and you are church. And we can do that without a building and lights and musicians and speakers because it's just the DNA of what God has placed in our hearts. And he wants to activate us into that thing to see the gospel spread. And we'll never see the gospel spread until we're those people. So this morning we're going to look at John 13 and, and we're just going to look at what Jesus says. Because, right, like who cares what what I say? Like let's, let's, let's look at what Jesus says. And and. John, or the Gospel of John, is is written by John, the disciple that Jesus loves, like that guy. He loves all the disciples, by the way, but that's what he called himself because he got it. Like if the other disciples got it, it would be like Thomas, the disciple Jesus loves, and Peter, the disciple Jesus loves, like because Jesus loves us. And his identity, he's chosen to find it in that place of God loves me. And that's an amazing thing. You may, you may look at that and be like, man, that's arrogant. And if I walked around and I was like, hey, I'm Brad, the disciple Jesus loves, nice to meet you, you'd probably think I was a jerk. But, man, the reality of it is, like, we should find our identity in that place. And when we do that, man, it changes everything. So we see John here, he's writing, they're preserving these stories, this narrative story of Jesus' life for us. He writes this down for us. But what I love about that is John actually was there for like most of these things. Isn't that amazing? Like these are eyewitness accounts of Jesus living and moving on this planet. I grew up in, in this era of, you know, let's disprove and disclaim everything that is Christianity. I grew up in that. Like, it's not popular to be a Christian right now, and I get that. And even some people that would call themselves Christian are turning from the faith, and I get that. If you can turn from the faith, by the way, you never were. Um, And and I just want to say that out loud so we don't get confused when more people maybe eject from this thing. But the reality of it is today, like, I grew up in in that era of, man, the Bible's not true, and there's all kinds of holes in it. And I grew up believing that these stories are written, like, hundreds of years after Jesus walked on this planet. So to me, like, the fact that John was really there and he saw these things, like, man, that means something to me. And it may not mean anything to you, but, like, he was an eyewitness of these things, and that would hold up in court, and it holds it in my heart today. And I love that. Uh, and he's writing this story as, as, as he saw it, and I love that. And he, he writes in 13 about what we would know as the Last Supper, Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he went to the cross. We're like under 24 hours out now from when Jesus would be crucified. That's the timetable we're living in in John 13. And, and John writes this story, but he, only, he starts the story like um, in verse 4. Verse 1 through 3 are just these narrative notes setting the stage for what's about to happen. And I think a lot of times we would, like, blow through 1 through 3 because we're like, that's weird and who cares? Like, I just want to read the story. Like, I'm just trying to read the chapter to be a good Christian and check it off my list because I don't read the Bible today. Like, we don't really think about these things. But we're not sitting at the table, but John's trying to give us a perspective today like we are sitting at the table. And he uses the first three verses to kind of build the scene for us today. And he he starts out, he says, before the Passover festival. He's given us a time on a calendar. This is a real day. I love when they do this in the Bible because sometimes we get in our head that these are fairy tales and not real events. And they didn't really happen. And then God's like, well, I'll put a date on it. Like, then you can track it down. And he says, before the Passover festival. So he just marks off a little box on the calendar. But John's doing more than that today. 
He's setting the mood in this moment of the Passover festival. These disciples and Jesus are about to meet and they're about to celebrate something the Jews celebrate yearly even to today, this Passover feast. And this Passover feast is actually the important part of the, of the stage here because the Passover feast is a celebration or a commemoration of what God did as he rescued his people out of Egypt, out of captivity and slavery in Egypt, and he brought them out as he was leading them towards the promised land. They're going to sit down and they're going to eat this meal just like they'd done at this point in time for like hundreds of years. They're going to sit down and, and enjoy this meal together. But if you think about what the meal is, like, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. This Passover festival is a celebration of how God led his people out of Egypt, but also a celebration of how he did lead his people out of Egypt. He did that primarily, by the way, you've heard the stories or at least seen it. Like there was even like a Rugrat special, if you're old enough to know what that is about this. Like, like you know, thank you old people like me. And, um, and we've seen it and we've heard it. But he, he led him out primarily through like a series of plagues. It was like a bunch of miracles that God did, you know, because God used to do miracles. By the way, still does do miracles. And, um, and, and we see a couple of them, but this one specifically is the last miracle he would do as he would lead his people out. He was about to move through. I always called it the angel of death, but if you read the verse, what does God say? Ah, we'll move through. God moved through Egypt, and he was about to go through, and God was about to, to, to kill every firstborn of everything in Egypt. From people down to fleas, right? Like everything that was the firstborn, it was gone. God was going to move through and he was going to do this as a sign to Pharaoh. Like, you need to let my people out of here. But God told Moses before he did this, you need to tell the people to take a a, a lamb, a spotless little baby lamb into their house. And you're going to keep it there for four days. You're going to keep it there for four days. You're going to feed it. You're going to care for it. You're going to love it. You move an animal in the house for four days, especially like a cute lamb, like that becomes a pet, especially if you have kids, right? You're going to move this thing in for four days, and then at the end of that fourth day, you're going to kill this lamb. And if you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost of the house, then as I pass through and I see the blood of the lamb, I will save all that's in that house. This is the Passover festival. They're sitting down to eat. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and they're celebrating. When God saw the blood of the Lamb, he passed over and did not kill, punish who was in the house. You see what God's doing here. It's no coincidence that Jesus died in these days. It's no coincidence they were celebrating this feast as Jesus was about to die. The feast wasn't... Uh, Jesus wasn't dying because of the feast. The feast was always pointing to Jesus. This has always been about Jesus, and all history has been pushing towards this moment. And here we are. Here's the lamb, and in a moment, they're about to kill him. He's been in the city now, by the way, for about four days. And they're about to kill this lamb. They're about to shed his blood. And then anybody the blood is applied to, God won't kill or punish And this is the scene as they sit down at the table. He goes on and he says, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew he was about to die. As he sat down that evening to eat with his disciples, he knew he was about to die. He knew he was going to the cross. Actually, he moved to Jerusalem in these last few days to get in position to be on the cross. Jesus was never running from the cross. He was running to the cross. He knew when he left heaven what was happening. It says in the word, he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He wasn't created in Bethlehem to one day endure a cross. He was the creator who stepped into Bethlehem to one day take up a cross. And it says Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew his hour had come. He knew that in these final moments, these final hours of his life, he was going to be nailed to a cross. He knew what that was going to feel like. He knew there was going to be a crown. He knew that they were going to beat him and mock him. He knew all of these things. And this is the mood as Jesus sat down at the table. He sat down with this knowledge to eat this meal with these people, to spend his final moments with these guys that he loved. It says he knew that his hour had come to depart this world. But listen to this, to go to where? The Father. 
We think of the heaviness that would be at the table, the sadness that would be at the table. But I wonder maybe if it was joy that sat at the table with Jesus that day because he knew, yes, he was going to the cross, but he knew after the cross he was going to the Father. He had been with the Father for all eternity. He stepped out for 33 years to be here, and there was a separation physically from these two that have never been apart. And I wonder if there was an excitement at that moment. And there's a bad thing coming, but there's a better day ahead, right? Like there's, there's, a, there's a moment that it's going to hurt. There's a moment that it's going to be horrible. I don't know that I'm excited about the nails and the crown and the spear and the mocking. I don't know if I'm excited about any of that, but I am excited about going to the Father. See, when we know where we're going, we can get through a lot, right? When we know where we're going, we can endure a lot. When we know where we're headed, man, we can get through some hurt and some pain and some sickness and darkness. We can get through it if we know we're going at the end of the day to the Father. And he's like, put that in perspective today. What's the word say? These momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to the incomparable weight of glory. He's not saying what you go through isn't bad. He's saying, man, compared to what's coming, it's nothing. So press on. And I wonder if maybe in this moment there was a little bit of, there was probably some fear, but I bet there was a whole lot of joy. And then it just puts in, like, again, editorial notes. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the very end. We're just getting the mood at the table. John's like, you know what I felt when I sat at the table? loved. Jesus was sitting at the table, and in his mind, I didn't know this at the time, but he knew it at the time. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was about to die. He knew what was about to go on. He knew what he was about to go through. But man, when I sat down, I felt love. And I want you to know, he loved his own. That's me. That's Peter. By the way, that's you, his own, those that the Father had called and given him, those that's name was written, right, in the book. Like, he, he loved his own, and he loved him till the very last breath. What he's saying is this, man, it's love that led Jesus to the cross, but it's love that held him to it. He said, I felt loved when I sat down at the table that day. And two, it says, now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. There's this weird little verse that happens in here. We get like, here's what Jesus is doing. He's going to the cross all these things and then we get verse two and it's like let's talk about judas for a second and verse three it's going to flip right back to jesus and you're like why is he why is he even mentioning judas like who cares like who's judas he's a jerk he's about to betray jesus he's about to he's about to like walk up to him kiss him so he can be arrested that's a jerk move right there why is he even mentioning him and again he's setting the stage for what's about to take place at the table all of what's about to happen in the story should be set through the context or the lens of these three verses and he says hey i just want you to know while we were sitting at the table feeling loved there was a guy there named judas and write about him here in a few minutes there was a disciple there his name was judas and he already knew he was going to betray jesus actually if you look back i think it's in luke we see that before this moment takes place that he'd already exchanged money in, in, in the selling out of jesus that he probably as judas sat down at the table already had the silver on his belt and he's like i need you to hear this before we go on to this story i need you to know what jesus is about to do is amazing and it's amazing because there's a man named judas who's sitting at the table and judas is probably holding the silver on his belt so when jesus does what he's about to do he can probably even look and see the bag of silver and then it goes right back into verse 3 setting the table of just this jesus person he says jesus knew sorry these words are small and my bible moved um Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. What he's saying is Jesus knew he was completely in control. When Jesus was sitting at the table and he was about to go to the cross, Jesus knew he had the ability to not choose the cross. Jesus knew that in that moment he could say, I'm not doing this. He knew that in that moment he could say, I don't want, I don't want the nails. I don't want, I want to do this. It's not worth it to me. What he's telling us is that Jesus knew what he was about to go through and God had already given him all the power to choose whether to go through it or not. Jesus knew the Father had already given everything into his hands, that Jesus had the ability in these moments to choose to be obedient or to turn from that. It goes on and says that he had come from God. Jesus knew who he was. I think this is so important. Jesus was not having an identity crisis right before he went to the cross. He was not wondering, why would God let this happen to me? Why would God make me go through this? Why? But he, he, didn't, he didn't change or see differently who he was because of the situation he was about to go through. Still the Son of God knew it, always knew it. Hanging out in the womb, nine months, knew it. Born, 
not able to talk, trying to figure out how to move his fingers, knew it. Twelve years old, what do we see? Jesus knew it. One story, right? He's hanging out in the temple. His family leaves him because they're really awesome parents, apparently. And they go off, and they get halfway down the road, and they're like, hey, where is Jesus at? And they go back to the temple, and Jesus is like, hey, how did you not know I'd be doing my father's business? Twelve years old, knew exactly who he was, in these moments knows exactly who he was. Never had an identity crisis, always knew that he was God, the creator, and this is a cross that he's choosing to go to. Why is that important? Because what's about to happen to Jesus, it's important that we know he knew exactly who he was. He wasn't some man who's helplessly now subjected to the cross. He's the creator of the universe who chose the cross. He's like, look at it through this lens, what's about to happen. Look at it through this lens. Jesus knew who he was. And he knew that he was going back to God. We get it twice, right? He's about to depart this world and go to the Father. And then right here at the end, I'm going to God. Jesus is about to go through arguably the most horrible thing that anyone has ever experienced on this planet. Like this is more than you or I will ever have to bear. Knowing he's going into it. How many of us would change the situation we're in right now if we knew going into it we could do something about it? Probably a lot of us. We get in those moments where hurt happens, right? Like probably a lot of us. Jesus knew he was going to the cross and he chose still to endure the cross because he knew the end of the day he was going to be with God. I just want to say it again today. We can get through a lot if we know where we're going. We can get through a lot today if we know where we're going. Probably, uh, we call it blessed. I don't really know that we're blessed to be the church in America because I think we do a horrible job at being the church because we're in America. But probably today, most of us will never be at gunpoint asked to deny Jesus. There have been people that are. There have been people that have been beaten Asked to deny Jesus. There have been people that have been killed. Asked to deny Jesus. Wouldn't do it. Why? Because you can get through a lot if you know where you're going. Some of us right now, let's scale it back some, put it in today. Some of us right now are going through hurt and heartache. Questioning maybe our faith even. Some of us, I don't know if I really want to believe this. Maybe it'd be easier. I've thought these things. Maybe it'd be easier if I just don't, and then the devil would leave me alone. I'm not reading your mind today. Like, that's, I've been there. Maybe you're like, man, I don't know why he's up there talking. I don't know. I'm just being real with you. And I know that some of us have thought that. But you know what gets you through those moments? If we keep in perspective where we're going. When, when everything falls apart, when life falls apart, when death happens, when sickness happens, when the doctor gives you the notice, you know what gets you through? If you know where you're going. When it feels like God's left us and God's forgotten about us, you know what will get you through? If you know where you're going. You know the truth of who God is and you know he doesn't forget you and he doesn't leave you and he doesn't forsake you. That even in these moments when everything falls apart, we've never been promised that everything is good, but we've been promised everything works together for the good. You know it'll keep you going if you know where you're going. I didn't plan on any of that today, so I'm just believing that God's speaking that to somebody's heart today. You can keep going today if you know where you're going today. If you don't know where you're going today, man, we got, we got to fix that. But it says, this is the scene as we sat down at the table. This is what was happening in, in the room, and we didn't even get it. This is what Jesus was thinking about, and we didn't even know it. And it says, in that moment, here comes the story. Now we've set the stage. So he, being Jesus, got up from supper. Jesus sitting at the table. They're probably laughing, joking, having a good time, getting ready to eat a meal because they felt loved at the table. 
And Jesus just all of a sudden just pushes back from the table. And he gets up. They're probably like, where's he going? And he does this, this kind of weird thing that maybe we won't be weirded out by, but they probably were. He, he starts taking off his robe and he lays it to the side. And now they're probably like, what's going on? And then he takes this towel and he ties it around himself. Jesus gets up from the table. They're probably cutting up. Pushes back from the table, goes over, starts taking off his robe, and then he ties a towel around his waist. Now they're probably all quiet, wondering what's going on. And it says, next, he he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. This is what Jesus does. He gets up, he takes off his robe, he puts on this towel, and then now through the next verse we get why. He pours this basin of water, and then he he begins to get down and and to wash his disciples' feet. And and then he takes them after he's done, and he takes the towel that's on him, and he dries them off. Like weird. Right? Thank you, one person. Weird, right? You're allowed to think that this stuff is weird. It's weird. We, we don't do that. It's not like a cultural thing for us. We don't like people come in the house and we don't like pop their shoes off and start washing them. That's not like a normal thing for us. Actually, most of us are just grossed out right now by the idea, especially if you're not a feet person and you're like, I just can't imagine some of these people's funky feet coming up in my house, popping their shoes off. I've smelt some of your guys' feet like you're thinking that. I'm not thinking that. I've smelt some of your guys' feet and, and, and I don't know that I want to touch those feet. I'm not like super bothered by feet. I'm not that guy. Like I don't. I'm not weirded out by much of anything. I've been around John and Caleb too long, and it's it's not weird for me. Um, but man, for some of you guys, like you're just like foot folks, right? Like, nope. Now I just want you to imagine that after people who didn't have their nice Nikes on with their socks that absorb sweat on have been walking around all day long at the end of the day here we are they're in their flip-flops at best walking around in in this dry environment with with dirt everywhere and then they come up in the room so that's been like just lingering there for a little bit and then you get a bowl and then you start washing their feet by the way these guys have all been following Jesus around for like three and a half years walking around all of Israel these are not like manicured feet. These are nasty man feet. And then here Jesus is about to go to the cross. Knows 100% he's going to the cross. Knows 100% they're about to drive nails through his body and put a crown of thorns on him. They're about to beat him. He's going he's, he's gonna to not get to rest the whole night because they're going to arrest him. And then while everybody's sleeping, while he's praying, right, like they're going to come and they're going to arrest him. And then they're going to take him and they're going to throw him in a holding cell. They're going to try him three times. They're going to mock him. They're going to beat him. And then early in the morning, they're going to nail him to a piece of wood and hang him up. And he's going to hang on a piece of wood for hours until he bleeds to death and suffocates on his own blood. That's what's coming. And before we get there, when he should have been thinking about a million other things, he's pushing back from a table. Like, at least rest and enjoy this meal, right? He's pushing back from a table and and getting on servant's clothes and going over to the water, pouring water, getting down and scrubbing on these guys' feet. And then he takes their nasty, wet, dirt feet and rubs them on the towel. And it should leave us, right, like with what in the world is happening. Like why is he doing this? This should have been the question at the table, and it should be the question right now. Like, we just look at this, and we just like, oh, it's words on a page. It's words on a page. It doesn't mean anything. You just read it, and, like, maybe there's a do it or don't do it in there somewhere, and we'll try to take that. But we just leave the story, and we don't treat it like it's real people, and we don't put ourselves in the story sometimes and think how we would feel. And if we were there, and really today, we should still be like, why? Why would he do it? Why would Jesus do this? Why would he, when he's about to die, knowing all that's coming, why would he do this? 
By the way, if you're Jewish, you know this, and probably all of us aren't, so maybe we don't. This is the job reserved for the lowest slave in the house. Like the small straw guy, this is him. Like the bottom of the totem pole guy, this is him. Like the I just walked in the door yesterday slave guy. Like they don't have any seniority. Like this is his job. And if you were a Jewish slave, like born Jewish, you aren't even allowed to do this because it's so unclean. Had to be some Gentile, some we got it in battle somewhere guy. And here's Jesus, who's the biggest deal, the most important, like, (laughs) creation. Definitely the most important at that table. And he pushes back from the table, and he gets up, and he puts on the servant's clothes, and he pours the water, and he gets down, and he scrubs these guys' nasty, stinking feet, and then rubs them on himself. No wonder, John says, what I felt at the table was love. He was about to die, and he was thinking about my feet. He was about to die, and, he, and he's down here scrubbing on us. Like, I didn't know that was what was coming. I didn't know that was what was happening, but he knew it was happening, and here he is. And if I'd have known, do you think John would have ever let this happen? And it's like, why? Why would Jesus do that? And we get the why in the first three verses, the gospel. He knew what was happening. He knew the gospel was coming. We were about to set this in motion, that we were about to leave these guys. He came to do this. He came to serve. And through the lens of the gospel, he said, I'm not that. I'm not too important to do this. I just want to love these guys. I just want to serve these guys. See, through the lens of the gospel, we can think less of ourselves. Through the lens of the gospel, we can love people that don't deserve our love. Through the lens of the gospel, we can do things that there's no way in the world we'd ever want to do. It's through the lens of the gospel that makes the way for service. And that's why he sets this stage in the first three. He's like, man, this is, this is just the gospel. It's all about the cross in this room. And Jesus knows that. And, and, and even in that, Through the lens of the gospel, he takes off his robes and he puts on servants' clothes and he gets down and he just scrubs these guys' feet. I'm going to try to move pretty quickly through these next few verses, but he gets to to Peter. It says in 6, he came to Simon Peter, so he's already washed some feet. We don't know where Peter was. You can look at like a painting and try to pretend you do, but you don't. He came to Simon Peter and... He asked him, Peter asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Finally, right? Like, why? What are you doing? Like, this makes sense. Like, you're like, man, Peter, you, yeah, you got it. But if you read, that's not what's happening. See, if Peter really got it, when Jesus got up to take the servant's clothes on, he'd have been like, no, dude, you're the son of God. And you're, <laughs> you're the savior. Let me get this one. And he would have. Scrub the disciples' feet. I'm not letting Jesus do that for anybody. Jesus is way too good to be scrubbing people's feet. But that's not what he does. He waits till Jesus scrubs everybody's feet before him. He gets it to him, and he's like, you don't think you're going to wash my feet, do you? What he's saying is, man, maybe that's good enough for everybody else, but, but Jesus, I know who you are. Like, I'm the thou art the Christ guy. Like, I get it. Nobody else gets it maybe, but I get it. You're the Messiah. You're the, you shouldn't wash my feet. But do you really get it? If you're not willing to do this, do you really get it? So he gets there, and in, in, in false humility, which is really arrogance, he's like, ah, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus looks back at him, and I would have been like, okay, that's why I'm not Jesus. I didn't want to touch your feet anyway. That's what I would have said. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. But afterwards, you will. You'll know. I'm going to explain it in just a minute, but you're going to get it in a greater deal here in just a few hours. And he says, man, just let me wash your feet. You don't get it. You don't have to get it. Just let me wash your feet. And then he comes back and he's like, you will never wash my feet ever. Jesus, I'm never letting you touch my feet. Like, no. You're too good to wash. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve you to wash my feet. I'm, I'm, what he's saying is I'm, I'm like, I get it and they don't get it. and Like, I don't deserve that. These are the same class of people that are like, um, by the way, um, Man, I'm just I'm I'm not doing that whole salvation thing because I'm not worthy of it. It's false humility. You just don't want to let Jesus serve you. 
I'm, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus because I'm such a bad person. It's false humility. You just don't want to let Jesus serve you. Same class of people. And he looks back at Jesus and he's like, dude, you, you aren't ever going to touch my feet. I'm never letting you do that. Those people, man, those clowns, those jokers who pretend like they get it, they don't get it. They can let you touch their feet, but like, I'm not worthy of that. It's false humility. And this is what Jesus says back, because again, I would have been like, okay, cool, don't want to anyway. Uh, But Jesus replies, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. If you don't let me serve you, you don't have any part with me. That's what he says to him. If If you don't let me do this, then you don't have a part with me. I mean, that's strong, right? It's not that serious, Jesus. It's just foot washing, right? Like, it's just a little water. It's not a big of a deal. It seems like a strong response to this. But man, this is what Jesus is saying to all of us in that spot of false humility that just don't want to let Jesus serve us. We don't want to, we want to act like we know more, we get more, we whatever. And Jesus is saying, dude, you got, you got to let me wash your feet. No, I really need to wash your, you, you got to let me serve you, is what he's saying. You got to let me do this. You, you don't get it. I know you don't get it, but you're going to get it later. You got to let me serve you. He says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Simon Peter says this like amazing thing, because Peter either really doesn't get it or he really does get it. And this to me is the most beautiful thing that he ever speaks in the whole Bible. And, and you're like, well, isn't the thou art the Christ thing? No, the thou art the Christ thing is something we all got to speak, but this is different. He looks back at him and he's like, oh man, if that's what it takes, then not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. He's like, man, if that's what it takes to have a part with you, you can have it all. <laughs> and it's not just about my feet today. You, you can have everything. If you, if you want to wash me, you, you wash all of me because I want you is what he's saying. Now, that's not something all of us get to. God, I want you so much. I'm not holding anything back from you. God, I just want to be a part with you so much. I want to be close to you so much. I want to be near you so much that, like, just do everything. It's, it's beautiful. It really is. And it's, it's like this desire in, in me for me, but also for other people. Like, I want me to get this in such a way, but I want us to get this in such a way because this is what it's about. Oh, I came to church today. Oh, I did this prayer thing. Oh, I did the songs thing. This is not that. Jesus, you can have it all. (laughs) This is that. He sees something in Jesus that he wants more than everything else. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. Just take it all. And then Jesus comes back and he's like, man, one who's bathed. um, Jesus told him he doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. I'll just get your feet today. (laughs) but he's completely clean. And then he says, you, you are clean, but not all of you. We've stepped into something now where we're not just talking about water and feet. Why do you have such a strong reaction to you're not washing my feet because we, we're not really talking about washing feet. Jesus is like, you, you, got, you got to let me serve you. And then he goes, he's like, man, you're clean because you believe, you see it. Like the, 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 the sight is in that statement, right? Like you can have it all. You're here for more than just like the free meal, right? He gets it. He's like, you got faith. We, we can see it. But then he says, not, not everybody here has faith. He's not talking about washing feet. He got everybody's feet at the table. It even says, like, for he knew one would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. Like, he's probably already at this point in time, like, washed everybody's feet but Peter's. Peter was probably the last. He probably sat there and watched Jesus wash 11 people's feet. He's probably even at this moment washed Judas's feet. Just contextually, it makes sense. But he says, man, it's not really just about that. There's somebody here that they just don't believe it. They don't get it. They, They think that... I'm worth less than like a few pieces of silver. And then he gets up and he, he sits back down at the table and he begins to explain what he, what he just did. This is in 12 when Jesus had 
washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Now, this is an easy question, right? Uh, Yes, you washed our feet. I was here for that. I was awake. In 13, he says, it's more than that. You call me teacher and Lord. This is what you say about me, that I'm your teacher and your Lord. Master is another word for that. This is well said, for I am. This is true. He gets up and immediately he's like, I still know who I am, by the way. (laughs) Never lost that in there. I'm still master and Lord. You're you're right. That's who I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is what he says to him. (laughs) I washed your feet. I served you. And let's be honest here. I'm, I'm the big deal at the table. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm the big deal at the table. You're, you're not that big of a deal in comparison to Jesus. It's not true. <laughs> you might be a big deal compared to me, but, man, you put Jesus in the picture, and we got nothing. We got nothing. And he gets up, and he sits back down, and he's like, you guys, you know I'm the master and the Lord. You know that. Like, this is me. But you saw me get down, and you saw me wash every single person here's feet, everybody's feet. Judas is still hanging out at the table. He doesn't leave for a couple verses. I washed everybody's feet. And if I, your master and Lord, if I, the big deal at the table, washed your feet, what does he say? Shouldn't you also wash each other's feet? Man, if I, the big deal at the table, step down to serve, shouldn't you also step down? to serve for i've given you an example that you also should do just as i have done for you does jesus want us to serve in the church i mean it's clear Like it is black and white on the page. There's no debate. It's either I will or I won't at this point in time. Because you cannot debate what it says. Does Jesus want us to serve in the church? That's like, let's, let's just say it out loud today. Does Jesus want us to serve in the church? It's black and white on the page. Like there are things in the Bible that are debatable, but this is not one. We can, we can come and we can, we can sharpen our iron on when Jesus is coming back. But this is black and white. We can come and we can sharpen iron on does Jesus have a select set of people he's saving or is he saving everybody? We can come and debate that. But we can't debate this. Does Jesus mean for us to serve in the church? Yes, 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 yes. And there's no way around it. Actually, this would even imply that we sometimes should probably wash each other's feet. He says in 16, I assure you a slave is not greater than his master and in a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Does Jesus mean for us to serve in the church? Yes. There is no way around it. There's, there's no like, maybe it's not for me or it's not my spiritual gift or I don't have anything to offer. There's no way around it. If you are Jesus's people, you're meant to serve Jesus's people. There's no way around it. And you can't clip it out. You can't cut it out. You can't say, hey, I don't know about that one or if that's for me. Like, there's no way around it. Does Jesus mean for us to serve in the church? Yes. And if we don't, we're choosing to not listen. If we don't, we're choosing to to not be obedient to what God has called us to do. So here's the question. Because we already got the why from Jesus. What is the how? 
I've served in the church. I've done horrible jobs in the church. By the way, cleaned a Dorito out of the urinal two weeks ago. It's gross. No. Paper towel to the trash. And I've done things that I think, man, it's amazing that God would even let me do it. I've been so happy in service and I've been so frustrated in service. I've loved people that have talked bad about me. And I've thought about quitting more times than I could ever probably stand up here and count. You know why? Because it's frustrating to serve in the church. I get that. Some of us, maybe we're, we're not even there yet because we're like, I just don't know if I have anything to offer to the church. And that's fine too, but it doesn't negate what Jesus said, does it? See, there's a million reasons that we, that we don't serve. I get that. Raise your hand if you've ever been burnt in church. Really, do it. Raise your hand if you've ever been burnt in church. If you've ever been hurt by church people. If God's people have ever broke your heart. Raise your hand. It's all of us. If you've ever walked in one before today and maybe we got you on the way in. We've all been hurt in church. You've ever been talked about in church? Ever been run down by church people? Ever been made to look like something we are not by church people? By, by pastors, by teachers, by whoever. Betrayed. We, we could go on all day, couldn't we? <laughs> There's a million reasons to not serve in church, but man, I can think of one really good one. It just kind of blows all the others out of the water, doesn't it? And here it is. Because in black and white on the page that we just looked at, in John 13, Jesus looks at everybody that's his. And if you're his, he's looking at you. And he says, you saw what I did. You're not greater than me. I'm the big deal at the table. You're not that big of a deal. And if I get down and I serve people that, that talk about me and I get down and I served a guy who had the silver on his belt from betraying me. If I get down and, and I served a guy who just a few days later is going to doubt that I even have the ability to be raised from the dead like I said that I would. If I get down and, and I wash Peter's feet who in just a few hours is going to say, I've never met the guy before. If I get down and I go around that table with all those people with all their problems and I scrub off all the filth and I I wash off all the dirt and I take it on myself. What excuse do you have? What excuse do you have? You know what's going to get us through those moments where we want to quit? You know what's going to get us through the moments where we heard somebody just talk about us and we walked down the hallway? You know what's going to get us through the moments where people break our heart and hurt us that we thought were our best friends? You know what's going to get us through those moments when nobody likes my idea, nobody wants to do what I want to do? You know what's going to get us through those moments when nobody noticed I came in on Saturday and cleaned the whole place and I wiped out the Dorito from the toilet and nobody noticed? You know what's going to get us through those moments of not not pat on the backs and not recognition and, and not even looking good? Like You know what's going to get us through those moments the same thing that got Jesus through these moments, the gospel. You know why we serve? Because the gospel. You know, you know why we move in, in this place and into this community? Because the gospel. Because it has to at some point in time become important to us that Jesus did die on a cross for the whole world and he left us here to do something about it. It has to at some point in time trigger in us that when he said Matthew 28, go make disciples, he was talking to us. It has to at some point in time trigger in us that God left this church here, this engine here for the expansion of the gospel through this planet 
and that's us, that's me, that's you, that's not some building, that's not some name, that's not some band, that's not some preacher, that's me. And if what I'm doing when I sweep the floor is advancing the gospel, man, I'll sweep the floor for the glory of God for all my days. If what I'm doing for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God is standing at the door and saying, man, I'm glad you're here today. God's going to do something amazing, man. I'll stand at the door in the cold, in the rain, when people don't thank me, I'll stand at the door. If it means that I'm standing in the parking lot, parking three cars in a in a parking lot, surely they can find a spot in for the advancement of the gospel, man. I'll do it every single day because the gospel will always be worth it. Standing at the door, not always going to be worth it. Standing in the parking lot, not always going to be worth it. Working in this place, not always going to be worth it. Talking and loving on people that don't love back on you, not always going to be worth it. But the gospel will always be worth it. And God's saying, man, I'm coming for the whole world. And I left you people there to do a job. And you got to do it. But if you don't serve each other, how are you ever going to serve out there? If you're not willing to love each other, how are you ever going to love them? Man, this is where the love is. If you can't get along in this place, how are you ever going to get along out there? Man, if you can't hug on each other in here, how are you ever going to hug the drug dealer? How are you ever going to hug the prostitute? How are you ever going to love those people who everybody looks at and says there's no way and they can't be loved? How are you ever going to love them if you can't even get along in here? You need to get down off the high horse today and you need to realize today the big deal came all the way down to lift everybody up and if he can do that we can do that for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel to the nations God's put this dream in the heart of the church and he says I will save people I still move mountains I still slay giants I still save people and I'll save your friends and your family but you got to get engaged with what I'm doing today I'm not coming into what you're doing you step into what I'm doing I'm not stepping into your plans you step into my plans I'm not coming to your place you come to my place And you see what I'll do. That's what I'm dreaming about, church. Man, I'm tired of... I'm tired of sitting by while people go to hell. I'm tired of sitting by not doing anything but standing up on a stage on a Sunday... Why those people over there and those people over there and those people over there don't know this God that I know. I've seen something and it's changed everything in me. I've seen something and I'm not worthy and I'm not good, but I've seen it and I can take people to it. I'm ready to see God do something. And the question is today, do I want to watch it happen or do I want to be part of it? Do I want to watch what God's doing on the bench? Or am I saying, Coach, you put me in the game. Alone, I can't do a thing, but together, man, we can be a force for good and the gospel and the glory of God to the nations. And I don't want a seat on the sideline for that. Put me in the game, Coach. Coach.